Welcome to another episode of True Crimes and Weird Toms. I'm Ashley. And I'm Kim. And today I'll be talking about the Georgia Godstones. On March 22nd, 1980, an almost 120-ton granite monument was unveiled to the residents of Elbert County, Georgia. But what was it built for, and who was the mysterious man who commissioned its creation? And I will be telling you about the murder of Karen Shahan. She was brutally murdered in her home in 2013, and her killer is still walking free, despite police feeling confident they know who it is. Karen and Richard Shahan were a married couple in their 50s who lived in Homewood, Alabama. The couple had two sons who had grown up and moved out on their own, so it was just the two of them in the house that they rented from their church. Now, Richard was the children and family's pastor and the facilities director at First Baptist Church just a few yards away from where they lived. Richard has always worked in the church industry, even starting his own company selling church curriculum online called One Vine Inc. in 2003. However, this business venture didn't pan out like the couple intended, and they ended up filing for bankruptcy in 2010, at which point they had two mortgages out on their home and over $100,000 in credit card debt. In 2013, Karen is working at Hobby Lobby, where she is a fantastic employee. She's always on time and reliable. So on June 23rd, when she doesn't show up for her shift, her supervisor calls the police. Smart. Right. And you have to be a pretty reliable employee to where if you don't show up for a shift, they automatically call the police. Right. So the police go by her home for a welfare check, and they don't get an answer when they knock on the door. So they go inside. What they find inside that home, some of the investigators describe as the most brutal crime scene they have ever encountered. Karen's body is found on the couch. She's been stabbed to death, and there is blood everywhere. I mean, it's on the walls, on the ceiling, on the floor. There is just blood everywhere. The police find a broken window in the basement. And a bloody footprint on a broken door. The house is absolutely trashed, presumably to stage a ransacking, but nothing's actually missing. So the footprint on the door is supposed to make it look like they broke down the door. Either they kicked the door down or they got the door pulled down and then stepped on it later. Okay. Not really sure which, but it's just part of the destruction that has happened in this house. So the police begin their investigation, and they're eventually able to piece together a rough overview of the crime. Karen comes home from her job at Hobby Lobby at approximately 9 p.m. Sometime between 11 and 11.30, a neighbor hears a large crash. Presumably, that's the window in the basement being broken. At the time of the break-in, Karen was sitting on the couch eating dinner and watching TV. In fact, the killer caught her so off guard that she still had food in her mouth and on her chest. Oh, wow. There was no evidence of sexual assault. However, police do find some semen on her body, but this info is kept away from the press for a long Mm. time. Nobody found that out until later. Okay. I wonder if that had to do with, like, just keeping it close in case they find... Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty common for the police to not release all the evidence they have just so they have something to kind of use against people. Also, the police find out in the years leading up to the murder, there had been a series of break-ins on their street. But no killings? No murders, just break-ins. And the fact that 
nothing is taken out of the house, I feel like would automatically put the police on. Mm, maybe That's this isn't on. quite the same thing. Right. The community is just devastated. I mean, everybody loved Karen. She was very active in her church community. She was a soft-spoken, sweet person. And like I said, immediately the police are not buying this break-in story. Like, nothing was taken. Why didn't Karen hear the glass break? And if she did, whoever was in the house obviously didn't frighten her because she was still eating her dinner on the couch. Yeah. I forgot about that already. (laughs) Right. So if someone breaks in through your basement window. You're going to jump up and at least see what it is or run. Right. So to me, I feel like the window was broken after she was murdered because... I mean, if the next-door neighbor heard it breaking, there's no way she was in the house and didn't hear it. Right. Because that's pretty loud. Yeah. Also, police make a note that burglars are looking for times to break in when no one is home. They want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. So why break into a house that has lights on at night when someone will almost certainly be at home? Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the time, if they break in in someone's home, a burglar will just run away they're not going to kill you the same way they came in exactly police immediately start looking into the husband richard Mm -hmm. and at first he's very cooperative he goes to the station for an interview he's held for about 48 hours which is the maximum time allowed without bringing charges and answers all their questions you know gives them his story and everything and that's it they let him go a few months pass with no developments in the investigation and in december Just four months after his wife was murdered, Richard announces he will soon be leaving for a three-year mission trip to Frankfurt, Germany, and starts taking donations to help fund said trip. Okay. That sounds like a getaway plan. Not suspicious in the least. (laughs) On December 31st, he officially resigns from the church, and on January 1st, 2014, he is arrested in Nashville, Tennessee, while attempting to board the plane to Germany. Now, one thing I saw over and over in the articles that I was reading was that he keeps saying, I was in Tennessee visiting my children. When she was killed. Right. Okay. So he was not home. He was at this hotel. Well, the police arrest him attempting to leave the country in Nashville, Tennessee to go to Germany. And the church community is just shocked. Well, yeah, naturally. No one really believes he could have anything to do with it. And the pastor actually does an interview with the press in which he says he doesn't know all the details, but he tends to believe Richard is innocent. He also disputes the claim that he was fleeing the country as the mission trip had been planned for two months. Although it wasn't announced until December and he got arrested on January 1st. That doesn't equal two months to me. but Maybe there was talk about it. I guess he was planning it quietly for maybe that's just saying that it's not possible to plan an escape it has to be spur of the moment which is not true yeah you you can plan escapes for months too and at this point the police start letting everyone know exactly what they have on this guy and it's pretty damning so first and foremost there are the emails Police gain access to Richard's email account where they find over 3,000 emails between Richard and various men. 3,000? 3,000. Do you know how far back they span? Years. Oh, okay. Well, okay. That makes more sense, I guess. But years and years. He was having multiple online affairs with married men. Oh. Many of the emails are very explicit. 
Mm-hmm. You can read some of them online if you want to. I'm not going to read them on here because <laughs> this yikes. is a family show <laughs> about murder. <laughs> right. Also included in these emails are correspondences between him and one of his boyfriends who lives in Kazakhstan. In these emails, they are planning for Richard to fly to Kazakhstan from Germany, get married to said boyfriend, become a citizen, and then never return to the United States. Hold up. Germany as in his mission trip. His mission trip, Mm -hmm. Germany. Yes. Okay. In September of 2012, he actually had traveled to Kazakhstan and worked as a professor for a Bible institute in Almaty. I assume that's where she, where he met the boyfriend. Okay. So I guess they had met while he was there teaching and they've just kept in contact and he was planning his okay. getaway to go live his happily ever after. Moving away and starting a new life with a partner in another country was a longtime fantasy of Richard's. In an email from 2011, he writes to his then European boyfriend... Quote, and then I find myself thinking about and picturing myself packing up and leaving my life and moving to Scotland and the two of us living together for the rest of our lives. I actually was standing in my closet the other night thinking, now which clothes would I pack up to move to Scotland? Or I find myself picturing you living with me in the house here and us living our lives day to day in Birmingham. I pick Scotland. Right? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> if your choices are Scotland or Alabama, like. Right, because we live too close. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Another email refers to his longing for his wife to die so he can be free. Oh. He says, quote, I'm in a legal marriage contract. There is not an acceptable way for me to dissolve that and continue with the things that are important to me, my job and children. There's only one way I could become legally single, and I have to wait until God grants me that gift. It will come. The woman I live with is slowly killing herself. She is diabetic and refuses to take care of herself physically. Her mother died early with the same disease and did the same thing to her body. So I pray and wait. It will happen in God's timing. Wow. Literally that, praying yeah. for his wife's death. Yeesh. They also find emails to a British attorney asking for advice on marrying in the UK and gaining permanent immigration status. Now, Richard's lawyers insist they had no knowledge of an arrest warrant and otherwise he wouldn't have tried to leave the country. So bond is set at $100,000 and Richard is put under house arrest. On August 14th, 2014, which is now over a year after the murder, a grand jury indicts him. They have the emails for Mm -hmm. one, and then they start talking about the inconsistencies with his interviews and his alibi. So Richard had traveled to Franklin, Tennessee to visit their two sons. One lived in Nashville and the other lived in Kentucky. So he he picked a place kind of in between the two so he could split his time. Now, during one interview, he claims to have checked in, watched two movies after a trip to Walmart to purchase alcohol. And then later in the interview, he says he didn't watch movies. He actually returned home to Birmingham to retrieve his breathing machine. And Birmingham is a three-hour drive from Franklin. And... Since Richard turned off his phone at 3.25 p.m. His cell phone. His cell phone, yes. That we all carry with us. Before he made his three-hour drive back uh-huh. to Birmingham. Because he did that, we have no proof of him being anywhere until 2.30 a.m. the next morning when he uses his key to open his hotel room door. Huh. So his phone's still off. He's, right. Uh, they, they have him opening his door. Right. They have okay. a log of... 
the door being opened. Okay. He also claims that he changed clothes at some point, but they have him on video surveillance, I guess, at the hotel or Walmart, mm. wherever it was they got him. But they have him on video surveillance, and he had not changed clothes at all, which seems like okay. a really odd detail to throw in. Right. Why would you say that if you... Right. He also claims that he bought gas on the way back from Birmingham, but no charges ever show up on the credit cards. So either he paid in cash or he didn't actually stop for gas anywhere. That's it for almost a year while the trial is getting geared up. Evidence is being reviewed. The defense actually keeps pushing back the date themselves so that they have more time to prepare. So by May 2015, Richard is still awaiting trial. Prosecutors reveal that Karen actually knew her husband was secretly gay and he was carrying on at least two romantic relationships with men outside of Alabama. Okay. In an email to an unspecified recipient, Karen says, quote, I told him that he cannot keep both lives, that he will have to lose one of them. I said that if he was having any interactions that were not right before God, that he should go to God and be completely honest with him because he knows anyway. I told him that God will reveal it to me. I told him that any texting or gmailing that does not bring glory to God has to go. <laughs> gmailing. <laughs> she actually throws that in there specifically uh-huh. because that's how he was communicating. Rock. And she throws that in so that he knows she's seen those she emails. Know, yeah, he knows she knows. Yep. Okay. The DNA evidence, the semen, is sent for testing by the prosecution And reportedly only a single sperm was found in the sample. No DNA profile came out of that. So they then have the samples retested to see if they can get a DNA profile. And not only do we never hear the results of these tests, neither does Richard's defense attorneys. They start claiming that the prosecution destroyed it with their second round of testing. Police believe that Richard saved a used condom from one of his former lovers to spread on his wife to try and throw off investigators. Which is why they only found the single sperm. Right. Okay. That makes more sense. Which one of his boyfriends did live in Tennessee. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Right. It's very possible that... He had sex, kept the condom, took it with him back to his house. The next update in this case isn't until April 2017. Now, Karen was murdered in 2013, so this is almost four years after the murder. And all charges are dropped due to lack of evidence. Oh, come on. Yeah. No. (laughs) What? It's all right there. It's all right there. I mean, it's circumstantial. It's all circumstantial. So here are the major points you can take away from this. Why didn't she hear that window break? Why was she still sitting on the couch eating her dinner? Unless it was after. Unless it happened after. Yeah. Or unless she, I mean, even if she heard it break, went down there and no one was there, I would still call the police. Yeah, of course. It had to have happened after. That's my own personal opinion. Now, they didn't have any hard evidence. They never found the murder weapon, so they couldn't fingerprint it. Mm -hmm. The emails are all circumstantial. Just because he was having an affair doesn't mean he killed his wife. Well, as far as fingerprints go, too, it would have been all over his house anyway. It's his house. Absolutely. So they can't even rely on that. Yeah. I didn't find anything that came of the shoe print on the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
this case was not widely reported on. Mm -hmm. I can only find two or three news sources that really dug into it and gave you very much information. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find anything about that shoe print and who it belonged to or if they matched it. I just, I don't know anything about it. And then police also theorized that he had an accomplice, which... I mean, if he's up in Tennessee... Right. He could have... But let's talk about this whole timeline thing. He gets to Franklin, Tennessee. He turns off his cell phone at 325. Weird enough. We do know that he did go to Walmart and bought the alcohol because they did check that one. They have receipts and surveillance tapes and everything. And then for almost 12 hours, he's just off the grid. The same night his wife is murdered. He went from saying he watched two movies... I guess, in his hotel room alone, to, I actually drove all the way back to Birmingham. Right. But maybe that was because he needed some excuse on why he was coming but back it, to the hotel room at 2.30 a.m. But still, it but doesn't... But still, it could have just been, oh, I got locked, yeah, I went outside for a minute, I got locked out. Right, yeah, it could have been, I stepped to the ice machine, yeah. you know, I went to get a drink. But to just disappear, have absolutely no alibi for 11 hours the same night your yeah. wife was murdered. Plus, like I said... Whoever was attacking her did not scare her. Well, that's just that that was what I was thinking. She had food in her mouth, so obviously whoever was close enough to stab her, she had to have known who it was to feel comfortable to eat around them. Right. Or they are the quietest criminal that has ever existed. Like well, Yeah, but <laughs> she's sitting on her couch where Right, unless the couch is in the middle of the room. Right. So they can walk up behind her. There's no way. She didn't see this attacker. And, I mean, maybe they ran it, like, charged at her before she could react. I guess that's a possibility, but... Maybe. I mean, that goes back to the, why didn't she hear the window break? And, you know, any DNA and fingerprints in that home cannot be used because he lives there. And Uh there's there's no murder weapon. That shoe print, though. That bugs me. I know. The shoe print is a big maybe, which could be where the police theory of him having an accomplice comes from. Right. But overall, I mean, the evidence doesn't, it's not enough. It's all circumstantial. It's all, like, he didn't want to be married to her, but that doesn't automatically mean he killed her. Like, people have been put in prison for less, is all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But it's now 2020, and there has been no more developments in this case. Have they said where he's at now? I have no idea where he's at now. Mm. But my guess is living his best life with his newest boyfriend. All in all, Karen Shahan was a beautiful woman who was active in her community. Everyone loved her. She was a great employee, and she didn't deserve to be stabbed to death eating dinner in her home. Whether it was her husband or not, she's the one who deserves the attention, and I really hope that they are able to catch this guy one day, husband or not, so that she gets the justice she deserves. In June of 1979, a, quote, elegant gray-haired man entered the office of the Elberton Granite Finishes and introduced himself as Robert C. Christian. He claimed to represent a small group of loyal Americans who helped to plan and fund a very large and very complex stone monument, and he chose Elberton because he was convinced that its quarries produced the best stone for his project. Joe Finley, the president of Elberton Granite, at first refused the stones that Christian requested were larger than anything he'd ever quarried. 
the project seemed really complicated. So he quoted Christian like several times higher than any job, but Christian ag- agreed. So clearly he had the money for this project. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see that being a pretty good tactic. Like, yeah. I don't really want to do this. Yeah. So if he's willing to pay this, then I guess it'll be worth my time. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was to stop him or, but yeah, it was a win-win. Definitely. Yeah. But Christian agreed. And as Finley heard more about the project, and assuming after learning the idea that money was no object, he decided to take on the task. Christian explained that the structure would serve as a compass, a calendar, and a clock. It would be engraved with guides in multiple languages. And it needed to be capable of withstanding catastrophic events so what was left of humanity could find a way to reestablish itself with the help of these godstones. So this is a doomsday prepper, essentially. That's what it sounds this. like. Right. Gotcha. But why build this structure? I mean, around the time he commissioned this, it was the height of the Cold War. Maybe they thought a nuclear apocalypse I mean, reasonable, was going to happen soon. I guess. It was, it was a scary time then. So. Yeah. But, I mean, Christian stated that this was in the works for 20 years, so I'm not really oh. sure. Yeah. Which would have been the 60s. And in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Right. Why not put it near Atlanta or, you know, near a big city where you would expect more people? More people. Unless they assumed bigger cities would be the target of bombings and this way it would be outside the blast zone? Maybe. Or maybe it was just close to the quarry and they... That's what he wanted was the granite. Right. Maybe it just wasn't feasible for them to, to transport those slabs. It does mention that in some places I read. So that that could be a very good possibility. Gotcha. Finley instructed Christian to make his way to the bank to speak to a friend of his named Wyatt Martin. Martin was, I mean, obviously confused by this project, but he eventually agreed to work with him. Martin explained to Christian that he couldn't proceed with this unless Christian gave his real identity and have an assurance that Christian could pay for it. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can imagine this is going to be a very expensive project. It was really expensive. No one knew this Robert Christian. He right, just any walked old guy into, yeah. could just walk in and be like, I got, you know, $50,000 to blow. Just believe Hot me. dog, yeah. Here we go. Christian hesitated, but agreed. But only to a couple of terms. Martin would act as a sole intermediary. Like, he was the only one to deal with this. And he wanted him to sign a confidentiality agreement so that he would never disclose the information, his real identity, to anyone, and to also destroy all the documents and records that were related to the project when the project was finished. That is nuts. Yeah. He definitely did not want his name on this, his real name on this. But why? Why would you want it to be a secret that you're the one who commissioned this project? That's a great question. The people that he worked with didn't want their names on it either. So clearly he's a member of some organization that wants this done right and it's very clear that they wanted to be absolutely anonymous finally the first payment came through and finley got to work they agreed on a suitable site that was on a flat topped hill uh, above pastures of the double seven farms christian bought the five acre lot from a man named wayne mullinex for five thousand dollars he later deeded that land over to Elbert County. So even then it wouldn't be in his name. Right. He gave Mullinex lifetime cattle grazing rights and to his children and 
also let Mullinex's construction company lay the foundation for the groundstones. So he's essentially just buying the right to put it there, not yeah. really wanting to own the property. Right. He, he, he just, just wants, wants to put it there. Yeah, he just wants to put it there. He presented a model of the structure to Finley so that he knew how to build it, along with like 10 pages of detailed instructions of how he wanted it to look, all the specifications. He then told Finley that he would never see him again. And Finley never saw him again. The anonymous man only ever had sole contact with Watt Martin, the banker, until Christian died. What? Yeah. What? He never even came and saw it after it was finished? I guess not. So. What? <laughs> so, let's, uh, let's talk about what this thing looks like. It's about 20 feet tall, and it weighs close to 120 tons. There are seven pieces in total. There's a base, a center slab. There's four major slabs that sit in an X formation. And a capstone that sits on the very top. And a few yards away, there's a stone tablet that provides some information. On the four main slabs, there's a set of ten gods for mankind. It's in eight different languages. English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, traditional Chinese, and Russian. So he thinks that the people (laughs) after the apocalypse are going to be speaking Swahili. I guess. Like, I get English... I get Spanish. I can see Russian and even traditional Chinese. Hebrew and Arabic. Hindi and Swahili. It's just... They're just not very prominent right. languages around here. Well, I don't know. The gods read as follows. One, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Two, God reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Three, unite humanity with a living new language. Four, Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. And ten, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. So it kind of sounds like the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like his <laughs> own ten personal Ten Commandments. I mean, and some of it, I mean, there's been some controversy with it because, like, number two, God, reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. That's a little... Um, I, my question is, does, do they think that after the apocalypse or whatever they think is going to happen, that the people who are left alive are not going to remember how civilization works? That's a great question. I have... <laughs> That's, I don't know. That's I don't know who they're telling this to. Yeah, or is... I don't understand who this is for. Right. I can see where it's going, but like you said, we know how rules work. Maybe it's just, just the way they believe and they're trying to share it? Just in case... In case? In case mankind becomes feral again <laughs> in the future? I guess so. Uh, well, now, the first one where it's saying keep humanity under... 500 million. I mean, that sounds a little like, I mean, think about it. The more we have grown as mm-hmm. a species, you see what it's doing to the world. I get what they're saying, but 500 million? That's thats not a lot. Yeah. I mean, how many people live in the United States alone? Just in the U.S., there's th- over 300 million people. So we're almost there just with our one country. Right. And if we're so devolved that we're having to read these rules off of a lab how are we going to govern all the continents together maybe it's all supposed to just be here 
I, I guess. <laughs> I just have so many questions about what their intentions right. were with this some of these thing. Sounds like things we should do. Be not a cancer on the earth. Pop. Right. I mean, I'm I'm pro not being cancerous <laughs> to the earth. But yeah, some of those are just a little. They're just strange. Like, who are they for? Mm-hmm. Also, on the capstone, there is inscribed, let these be godstones to an age of reason. And they're in Egyptian hieroglyphs, Babylonian cuneiform, Sanskrit, and classical Greek. You know, normal what? languages these days. <laughs> Hieroglyphics? Uh, maybe just in case. I mean, maybe. In case they have seen <laughs> the pyramids? You never know. And then traveled to Elberton, Georgia. Yeah. After the fall of civilization. Right. To find this slab. And they happen to have a way to translate. King Tut has come back. <laughs> and he needs to know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not getting the languages either. I mean, it's not. Hieroglyphics isn't even used. Maybe it's just a form of holding on to history maybe so they can use it as the rosetta stone of sorts like maybe so they can translate hieroglyphics later in case that knowledge is forgotten but it's one sentence oh well yeah i don't know but we'll keep going yeah because i Continue. mean because there's also astrological specifications to the monument okay the four main slabs are arranged on the moon's migration throughout the year the way the moon travels. The center column has a hole which the North Star is visible at any time. Always. No Always. Matter, no matter where you are, you can look through this hole and see the North Star. Right. And there's a slot that aligns with the position of the rising sun during solstices and equinoxes. So, like, you can see the rising sun, I'm assuming winter and summer solstices. It's essentially just a way to figure out where you are in the year. I think so. I think that's what it's supposed to be. It okay. didn't mention a calendar and a clock. Right. So, so that's... That makes sense. Yeah. Um, through the capstone, there's a hole through which a beam of sunlight can pass through at noon each day, and it'll tell you the day of the year. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. And they actually had to get someone out from, I believe, the University of Georgia to come out and help them put those in the right spot. Wow. Yeah. So I'm really, I really want to go and see those. Absolutely. If we take a trip out there, we will definitely post pictures for you guys. Oh, yeah. Yards away, like I had mentioned, there's a stone tablet that's placed in the ground. It explains the structure, the languages used, which is how we know what languages these are. <laughs> it lists some various facts, the astrological features, the date it was installed, and the sponsors of the project. It also lists information about a time capsule buried under the tablet, but the dates were never filled out, so no one even knows if there was one buried. It just says, it talks about a time capsule buried here at blank to be opened at blank. Like so. maybe they assumed that Christian would come back and do the time capsule himself? Maybe, but like this is, he specified for it to be on there. Maybe he maybe planned he to come back and do it. Maybe, he, well, he told him, no, maybe he expected the people of Elberton to do it. Maybe. There's been controversy about the principles that were listed on the stones. Fears of Satanism, the coming of a new world order. I mean, remember, this is the 80s. Yeah. So this was a big thing anyway. D&D was new. <laughs> uh, satanic panic. No. I mean, yeah, it was, it was that time. Yeah. But it led to a lot of graffiti and destruction to the monument. 
Some people linked the monument to the Rosicrucians. It's a spiritual group from the early 17th century because they believe the RC, Robert Christian, actually stands for the Rose Cross, which is a Rosicrucian symbol. Or perhaps it stands for Christian Rosencruz, who was the founder of the Rosicrucian order. Oh. So maybe they, they think that maybe this is a group of Rosicrucians. That makes sense. But, I mean, clearly, and the most widely accepted theory is that it was just simply built for a post-apocalyptic humanity as a god. As a god for when people for a are better completely society. feral. And, and need to is know. the only scenario <laughs> I can think of here. And they need Egyptian hieroglyphs to help them find the North Star. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, as a species, I feel like... We know you have to have some sort of justice system. Like you have to have order. Right. You have these are not new ideas that they're giving people. Some Maybe of them it's are. Maybe just to remind them. I guess. Hey, don't be crazy. Well, I mean, their rules are a little crazy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> In 1986, Christian actually left behind a book that can be found in the Oberton Granite Museum called Common Sense Renewed, which I think was a play on Thomas Paine's book called Common Sense mm-hmm. a long time ago. I forgot the year. Sorry. Which has led people to believe that maybe this is Freemasons. Because Thomas Paine was a Freemason, there were talks from the town that Finley and Martin were also part of the Freemasons. So maybe this is a whole big thing. But that's neither here nor there. The book... Touched more on his beliefs on entitlement spending, stifling regulation, the breakdown of traditional family. There's also a warning that the world's problems were symptoms of overpopulation. That would require some limited form of world government. There's a new world order to save mankind from annihilation. So basically this guidestone is just a synopsis of this book. Maybe. And you know what? Maybe it was just a PR stunt for his book. I mean, it could have been. Yeah. Huh. That's another possibility. Well, there's theories that Finley and Martin came up with this idea all on their own. And R.C. Christian doesn't even exist. But why? Why would they do that? So maybe it was because there were competing granite companies there. This probably did put them on the map. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a crazy PR stunt. But yeah. if it was, and it, it, it got them attention, yeah. I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's a tourist spot. And I don't think it's an actual, like, Big tourist spot, but it definitely put them on the map. Right, yeah. It so, made them notable. Right. As far as that goes, there's nothing else known about R.C. Christian. Finley, of course, never saw him again. And the only person that knew his true identity and even talked to him was Wyatt Martin, who was the banker. He kept in touch with him throughout the years. Martin maintains the promise that he made to keep Christian's identity a secret. And he said it's a secret he's willing to take to the grave. However, he did say he did not destroy the paperwork. So it still exists with his real name on it somewhere then. Right. He says he's kept it somewhere in his home. But he's still alive. Like, Martin's still around. Martin is still around. Okay. So Um, he's the only person that knows really where these came from. I I think the idea was that he was going to write a book, and then he decided against it. So he still has his paperwork somewhere. Writing is hard. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) But Martin says, all along, he... Christian said who he was and where he came from had to be kept a secret. He said mysteries work that way. If you want to keep people interested, you can only let them know so much. 
So, you know, in the future, if you happen to be alive after the apocalypse. You know where to go. Elbert <laughs> County, Elberton, Georgia. Head on up to Elberton. <laughs> start you a new world we'll order. St- <laughs> <laughs> yes, please go start a new world Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at True Crimes Weird Times and Twitter at TCWT Podcast. Like us on Facebook at True Crimes and Weird Times Podcast. Email us story suggestions or share your personal true crime slash weird time stories at truecrimesweirdtimes at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us an iTunes review. Reviews are a free way to support the show and help us gain new followers. We'll see you next week.